everyone, and welcome to GBA's Trade Policy Podcast. My name is Aaron Taylor. Today, we are going to dive deeper into a proposal gaining traction in the USICA conference, the proposed outbound investment screening mechanism, which would effectively act as a reverse CFIS. To explore this topic, I am joined today by GBA's Alex Manning and Charlie Vest from Roden Group. Thank you for being here, guys. Great to be here. Thanks. So let's kick it off. Charlie, your group has put out some tremendous research on the proposed outbound investment screen earlier this year. Can you explain a little bit about uh, what a group does and give us some key takeaways from your paper? Sure, absolutely. Um, so Rhodium Group's an independent economic research firm uh, specializing in the Chinese economy and its uh, global economic ties to China. Um, we've been doing about a decade uh, worth of research on U.S.-China cross-border investment. And so uh, when proposals for outbound investment screening were circulating last year, we decided to uh, see what our data uh, might be able to bring to the conversation. And so in fall of last year and then culminating in a research report we published in February, um, we, we looked at our database of U.S. to China FDI flows and determined that based off of the language that was produced in a prior version of the outbound investment screening proposal, the National Critical Capabilities and Defense Act, uh, somewhere around 43% of investment in China from the U.S. between 2000 and 2019 uh, were in sectors that were potentially covered by the bill. So we're obviously we're at a new we're at a new stage now with this um, new bill out. A lot of big changes, which I'm looking forward to discussing with you guys today. All right. Well, thank you for that. And in your research, one of the biggest takeaways, I think, is that foreign headquarter companies operating in the U.S. would certainly be wrapped up in this proposal. Can you dive into those details a little bit more for us? Sure. Yeah. Well, certainly with a with a prior version of the bill, the 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 issue was the language around U.S. entities, and those were def- de- defined broadly enough such that you know the the U.S. based affiliates of foreign headquartered firms could potentially be covered under the scope of the bill. You know, example might be. Um, a German automaker that had operations in the United States, if automaking was considered part of uh, critical infrastructure, which under uh, existing regulations is the case, then it would be possible that the shifting or relocating of that factory line to China would be covered under the scope of the bill. Now, with this new revised version of the NCCDA, um, the scope is actually much, much broader. For foreign headquartered firms in particular, the, the language of the bill no longer focuses solely on U.S. entities, but pretty much any business entity in the world under the current language of the, of the bill would be covered under this, this review regime, which we can, we can talk more about what sectors are covered and all that. But um, it's quite explicitly a very broad extraterritorial reach, so something that companies should certainly be, be um, looking out for. Okay, so let me open it up now to both of you. So, Alex, if you want to jump in, walk me through why this is going to be so troublesome for businesses investing in the United States. How will this affect their ability to uh, make new investments? Well, there's a couple of factors going on right now. You know, as Charlie pointed out, there's a couple of different versions that have been floated. The latest discussion draft came out uh, about two weeks ago on the 13th of June that does dramatically expand the scope, cover literally any country or any company in the world doing any sort of investment in, into China. The sponsors of the legislation have said pretty explicitly that that was not re- really their intent and they plan on cleaning that up some, but we still haven't seen any legislative language. So at this point, there's a big concern about who would be covered by this legislation, what exactly transactions would be covered, 
who they would report to because the second the original bill had um, the review office housed at the U.S. Trade Representative. Concerns were expressed that USTR does not have the manpower or the expertise to do these kind of reviews. So the latest draft just decided to punt the issue and let the president decide where to house it. But right now, we don't know what's covered, what they would have to report, and who they would have to report it to. So yeah, that it's a big concern across the board for just about anyone. And you know, for in the macro sense, if we were to implement an outbound investment regime like this, we'd be one of the very few countries in the world that did anything remotely like this, and it would almost surely invite retaliatory actions. Excellent points. Uh, let me hone in a little bit just on the number aspect. So there's no trigger if my investment is over 10 million or 10 billion if i want to open up a hot dog stand in shanghai it does have to be in what they have broadly defined as uh national security sectors so ai semiconductors charlie you can you know expand on that list probably a little bit more but traditionally the things that were actually are generally covered by exports controls so one of the questions a lot of our companies have had is why don't we just do this through the existing export control regime uh, and we haven't really gotten a very good answer off the hill from that yeah i i uh, to to the question about sort of the scope of it there's there's sort of three categories of, of investment that would be covered under this under this bill first first is on this uh, list of uh, critical supply chains you know last year the biden administration um, issued an executive order that uh, began a series of studies on uh, certain critical supply chains and what what potential risks um, there might be to, for example, pharmaceutical industry or critical minerals, high capacity batteries for electric vehicles, and a wide range of different sectors, um, different industrial bases. The new NCCDA legislation draws on that list of critical uh, supply chains for for coverage under under this bill. It also draws on a separate list of critical and emerging technologies, which uh, different agencies in the White House have been have been drafting over time. Some of which are also very broad. Some stuff that you would expect, you know, around around AI and aviation, uh, but also things around like the bioeconomy, which are fairly broad and ill-defined categories of of technology that can cover, um, you know, everything from from medicine to agriculture. And then additionally, recipients of, of any funding under the Bipartisan Innovation Act, for instance, CHIPS funding, for example, companies that receive CHIPS funding would also come under increased scrutiny. So a very, very broad selection of industries that would be covered under here. Now, there are carve-outs in the bill for uh, what they're terming uh, ordinary business transactions. But like many things in this in this bill, it's, it's fairly ill-defined, and there's so many questions about uh, what exactly would be would be carved out, or would give businesses the confidence to be able to to make investments, believing that uh, you know they would be ordinary business transactions. So yeah, still a lot of questions now about how this bill is going to be adjusted in light of the fact that the business community and others have pointed to some shortcomings of the bill that will make this very difficult to implement, raise a lot of questions about the uh, impacts on U.S. businesses. So we're still waiting for the the next edition from the bill drafters. Okay, let me zoom out to, I guess, a 50,000 foot view and ask this question. What is the purpose behind this and why are uh, the legislators proposing this? A lot of uh, ideas, good and bad, in Washington, D.C. have sat on shelves for 10, 15, or 20 years before they finally get implemented. Uh, has this been around for that long and, and why is it uh, at the forefront now? 
Well, I think the idea has been around for at least four years now uh, since the CFIUS process was updated during FIRMA. It didn't go anywhere then, but the people behind the idea are really convinced that the federal government needs a better handle and better visibility on investment that's going from the U.S. into China. The fear being that we're sending too much of our critical supply chain, too much of our manufacturing base, and uh, too much critical technology to China. In essence, the bill is really more about reporting, which is another question. Okay, if you want more reporting, but then what are you going to do with this information? A lot of questions out there. Yeah, I think I think that gets to the core of of the the challenge that the bill drafters are facing with this. That when the original version of the um, NCCDA was released, the focus was primarily on certain critical infrastructure, which was written broadly enough to, to encompass a lot, but the focus was really on critical infrastructure in the wake of mask shortages and certain other shortages of PPE during the pandemic. You know, there was a lot of emphasis on addressing those risks that you know continue to weigh, weigh heavily on, on policymakers' minds. What's interesting about about this bill in my mind is that the revised version sort of expands the aperture to focus not only on these critical supply chains, but also really any activities that support you know, the Chinese innovation ecosystem in uh, areas that are concerning or potentially concerning from a national security perspective. And so you know, I think many in the business community are holding out hope that this process will undergo a little bit more uh, rigor. There'll be hearings. There'll be just normal order for for you know exploring what you know reasonable way could be could be drawn forward to address the the some of the national security concerns around U.S. investment and sensitive sectors in China, while also recognizing uh, the need for a process that's that's targeted and that is implementable. Okay, so let's dive in a little bit deeper now on the hillside as this proposal is moving through the USICA process. First, let's talk about sponsors, co-sponsors, and where we are. Alex, perhaps you can address that on the House and Senate side. Sure. I mean, the Senate, it's it's Cornyn and Senator Casey who have been the champions on that end. They have been very active in pushing this. A very bipartisan group of about half a dozen House members, including uh, the ranking member on foreign affairs, Congressman McCall, Chair, Chairwoman DeLauro. There's quite a few key people on foreign policy issues that support this bill. The process right now, this, this was included in the House version of the competitiveness bill, the America Competes Act. It was not included in the Senate version. Right now, the various committees are going back and forth with different proposals. In some of them, this has been included, and in some of them, it's not. So it's it's very fluid situation right now. After they release the June 13th draft, I think the sponsors were expecting a much better reaction from the private sector. I think they truly thought that they had fixed some of the problems, when in fact, in most of the cases, they exasperated them. So. Depending on how those negotiations go, it could very easily be com- included in the final product. That said, there's so many different issues going on. They could very well turn out that there will be no trade title in the conference report, and it may just be pared down to the CHIPS and FABS Act funding. Again, it's it's fluid, so people need to be actively engaged on it. So on the House side, it sounds like there's 
more support in terms of sponsorship on the Senate side. It sounds like there's certainly kind of broad support. Let's be tough on China, but there haven't been any votes. Obviously, any uh, like 100 to zero motion to proceed no. votes showing such support. Well, it is telling to say, I mean, the Senate senators tried to attach it to the Yusika bill in this when the Senate passed that late last year, but there was enough internal pressure to have them back off of that idea and not include it in the Senate version. I mean, there's the very active sponsors and supporters, but there's a, at least has been a fair amount of opposition to including this into a larger bill. Okay, and who led that opposition? That's excellent question. <laughs> uh, we have some ideas, but it being the Senate, it's not particularly transparent. I know uh, Senator Crapo had his own trade uh, title that he didn't want to get messed with. I know Senator Toomey has been a champion of free trade and sees the, this as something that could be counterproductive to free trade. Uh, there's a couple other senators out there who haven't been very vocal, but have been concerned with it. So let's let's assume this proposal is 100% happening. There's no stopping its passage. Are there ways to improve the legislation at all? Or is this strictly a kill the bill exercise? I mean, my, my sense of it is that the fact yeah. that the drafters of the bill have already in some ways pulled, pulled the bill for further revisions telling about the response that it's gotten. You know, I, I'm not sure what to, whether the revisions are going to be substantive um, or not. I think that's sort of the big question at the moment. You know, but for folks who are concerned about the impact that this bill is going to have on American businesses and for foreign headquarter businesses, for that matter, and, and the, the contributions that they make to the American economy, uh, you know, I mean, you can look back to the research that we did earlier this year. And, and for those for those senators who were convinced by the argument that this, that, that bill was already too broad and too, too ill-defined to really address national security concerns in a in a rational way, then, you know, the, the point to make is that this bill does little to scope that down and in fact broadens it in, in, in important ways. Um, so if, if folks found that find that argument compelling, then this bill really doesn't address those concerns much at all. Yeah, I think that generally speaking, if they were to pare it down as to who this would affect and who would be required to disclose and make it clear what's going to happen to that information and who they're going to actually report it to and how that organization is going to do the reviews required by the bill. It's possible that this could come to a place where people would be more supportive, but since it's gone through so many revisions and has you know in many ways gotten worse through the revision process becoming more broad and less defined you know it's possible but i think they're really going to have to go back to the drawing board board and start from scratch so let's let's take that other side of the coin it, what should companies be doing to further explain how the negative effects that this proposal would certainly have on their operations reaching out to those uh, potential opponents you mentioned was certainly one phase are there others in the house where we know that there is opposition? I mean, I would encourage everyone to reach out to whatever members of the House or Senate they have good relationships with and explain that this this legislation is not ready to be enacted into law. I mean, we don't don't have a consensus on any of the main pillars. There's not even a real consensus on whether an outbound screening process is even a good idea. The sponsors seem to be very sure of that, but the, that's about all. 
and then you know at this point since we there's so many unknowns i, I mean that's really the the focus is saying before we could support this we need to have several questions answered and there needs to be an explanation on how this is actually going to work in reality and until that happens you can't support it. yeah alex i think that's exactly right and i think you know what we're what we're hearing from folks uh, is that there's there's actually readiness to have at least the conversation about you know whether an outbound investment screening regime is a good idea what sort of uh, investments we should be paying attention to what sort of tools are necessary but until we have an open forum for that sort of conversation, it's really difficult to to pass legislation that's that you know addresses all the equities involved. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that's that's really the next step forward. All right. Well, thank you. And any last thoughts to add before we close out this mini session? And again, we certainly encourage companies to reach out if they have any questions to Alex, and, and if they want some more information from you, Charlie, we can certainly connect them to you. But thank you so much for joining this this podcast. Thanks a lot. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, everyone.